2: Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host Greg Peterson.
5: A warmer for the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson. Now a part of the VSN Family Podcast and got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment, he hosts our new show at Vsin called The Run Line. Ben Wilson. Does an absolutely terrific job there. He's calling some arena football as well. guys. very well versed, has a great play-by-play voice. He is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be taking a look at what we've all gotten with the National League Central teams this season. We're going to be taking a look at a few games that we've got on tap for this Saturday as well. And just how he's been approaching the season. Whether it's been taking a look at unders, if there's going to be progression, regression, how to gauge guys that typically are slow starters to begin the season. taking a look at some historical data with that, how he winds up utilizing that or doesn't wind up utilizing that in his handicap. So a lot to talk about there. Going to be a nice wide-ranging chat with Ben in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Saturday as we touch them all. First things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast you have got one of two ways to be fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Junet underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters us you know, They mean, does that matter? As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Any other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. by that five-star review. Really didn't get in a lot of questions today, but we did wind up having a great day of baseball on Friday. Offense has got going a little bit, so let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these. Seems a little bit better. What games
1: from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy
5: recap: six home runs powers the Milwaukee Brewers over the Chicago Cubs by a kind count of eleven to one. Let's first get to the pitching of the Brewers, says, Adrian, don't call me Dookie Houser. Great start. Six scoreless innings, six punch-outs along the way. Holby Miller gives up a run out of the bullpen in two-thirds of an innings, but you wind up having Jake Cousins give you a scoreless setting. John Jondel Gustave is able to give you four outs out of the bullpen as well, and... How about those home runs, Andrew McCutcheon, second home run of the season. That comes off of Kyle Hendricks. Hendricks gives one up to Christian Yelich second home run of the season. He also gives one up to Jace Peterson his first home run of the season. Howdy doody, Hunter Renfro. Gets two relievers to give him good old fastballs. Third and fourth home runs of the season for Renfro. And then Willie Adamas winds up getting his fifth home run of the season. As giving up the home run to Adamas was Ethan Roberts. He winds up going two-thirds of an inning, giving up a run Sean Newcomb gave one up to Hunter Renfro. He winds up allowing three runs in one and a third innings. Mark Leiter Jr., he was starting for this team a few days ago. He winds up giving a scoreless hangout of the bullpen. Daniel Norris gives up one of those bombs to Renfro. He goes two-thirds of an inning, giving up a run. And then the professor, Kyle Hendricks, he got schooled, giving up six runs in four-and-a-third innings, including three bombs. Team goes 0-3 with men in scoring position, so it was all Brewers in this one. And we're going to be talking about the Brewers a little bit more in the second segment as well, so have no fear there. And... Have no fear if you want him taking the over in Fish versus the Mariners, as this was a high-scoring game. 8-6 to a final. By the way, Mitch who just returned back to the fold. Looks like he's going to be heading back to the injured list, so anyone that's a fan of the Mariners, that's tough. And Matt Brash. Boy, I'm going to be brash here and say that this was terrible. He got six outs, and he gave up six runs, including a bomb. Going deep off of him, that would be Mr. Ode Solaire, second home run season, and Miguel Rojas takes Matthew Festa deep, his second home run season, as Festa gives up two runs over the course of two innings. From there, you were able to get two scoreless innings out of Wyatt Mills and Penn Murphy, and... The Mariners, they tried to claw their way back. They go 4 of 9 with men in scoring position. Eliezer Hernandez did enough to be able to get it done. Doesn't wind up giving up a home run for the first time in a neon, giving up three runs over the course of five innings. And then you did have Sean Armstrong very nearly light this game on fire, giving up three runs in the ninth inning while getting just one out. Anthony Bender had to come out for his fifth save of the season, getting the final two outs, but you did have Cody Petit on Tanner Scott. Combined to be able to give you three scoreless innings. And for the Fishies, how about them? They now have six straight wins and... We're gonna be fading in that streak on Saturday. No, judge. Wink, wink. You've got yourself the Boston Red Sox, who were able to get going with regards to some good pitching. Three to one. They wind up taking down the Baltimore Orioles as. You wind up having the MLB debut of Kyle Bradish. I would say that it went relatively solid. He gives up three runs over the course of six innings, but only two of them were earned. He does wind up allowing a home run in this one, going deep. Christian Arroyo first home run season, but really not too shabby, especially when you consider that Trey Mu Mancini, and Rudan Odor made errors behind him. Keegan Aiken goes two and two thirds innings. He goes scoreless. Ode Lopez is able to give you an out out of the bullpen. Problem is the Orioles. They now have ten home runs this season. I mean, you take a look at Anthony Rizzo. We're going to get to him in a second. He's got nine all by himself. As Ryan Mountcastle in the ninth inning, gave the team a little bit of life his second home run of the season as he takes Until Robles deep. He gives up that solo run over the course of two-thirds of an inning. And for Richel, four scoreless innings out of E. Tanner Oak, they sort of have been piggybacking these two. He goes for three scoreless innings, did a lot of three walks, but was relatively solid. Jake Deakman a scoreless inning in the match. Gets the final out to be able to record a save. How about if we get to that man in Mr. Rizzo? He's able to get the job done for the New York Yankees by a count of 12-2. This game wound up ending in eight innings, by the way. So some of you guys are wound up placing bets on the total. You wound up having a very easy over-wind-up King robbed of you as Anthony Rizzo in this one gets his ninth home run season. That winds coming off of Chris with a K-Bubich. You wind up having Aaron Judge be able to get his sixth home run of the season. That comes off of Dylan Coleman. Jake allows Clay Torres, his second home run of the season, and Mister Bubich winds up giving one up to John Carlos Sain. A Bubich strap as he winds up giving up his fourth home run of the season. For Bubich, gives up three runs over the course of five innings, and then you wind up having Colin Sider give you a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. But Dylan Coleman gives up four runs in two thirds of an inning, and Jake Breslau gives up five runs, four of which were earned while getting zero outs. His ERA is now at 23.63. If your ERA is higher than the current year that we're in in 2022, it's not going well for you. Meanwhile, you did wind up having a scoreless setting out of Gabe Spear, but this was not good for the Kansas City Royals, as you also wound up having Bobby Witt get caught ceiling, and Cortez. And it all going on. Gives up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of five innings. Only three strikeouts, so a little bit of regression there, but Jonathan Loisaga, Chad Green, Lucas Luki all able to give you scoreless settings. The Arizona Diamondbacks have found themselves on a winning streak. Someone call the papers. They have now won three out of their last four games, 6-2, they take down the St. Louis Cardinals as Mad Bum. A great start, giving up one solo home run over the course of five innings, going deep off the of film, Paul Goldschmidt, first home run of the year. And then from there, the bullpen wasn't too bad. You did wind up having one run given up in one and two-thirds innings of Lucas Frias. You wind up having Noah Ramirez give you a scoreless inning, though Ian Kennedy a scoreless inning, and Joe Tippley was able to give you an out out of the bullpen as well. And take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, and it was brought up by Ariel Epstein on the podcast yesterday. They have now played out of their last seven home games, six of them to the over, and Wayne O'Wanham not necessarily giving a good start. Adam Wainwright, six innings pitch, gives up five walks, four hits, three runs in total. T.J. McFarland, who's been solid out of the bullpen, gives up two runs in a third of an inning. Cody Whitley, he gives up a run in an inning, and you do wind up having Nick Whitgren give you a scoreless inning, and Andre Palanti is able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, but an Arizona Diamondbacks team that entered the night, hitting a buck 79, able to take it to the St. Louis Cardinals, and they're able to get it done. DK Nation pick one bidding as the Reds are now three and seventeen as they get hickory smoked by the Colorado Rockies, ten to four. The final. That's because the Reds wound up getting three runs in the top of the ninth inning. For the red legs, Hunter Green winds up getting lit up, giving up four runs over the course of four and a third innings, four walks, gives up two bombs. Great that he's able to hit triple digits. He needs to rein it in a little bit more as you wind up having a pair of home runs in Elias Diaz and Ryan McPain, second home runs of the season for them. Rockies go 8 of 18 with Ben in scoring position, and Antonio Sensatella gives up one run over the course of six and a third innings, least just seen. pair of outs out the bullpen, Alex Calme, gives you a scoreless inning, and Ashley Gadoo does find it, giving up three runs of the final inning, but... The team was up nine, and he still did better than the Reds' bullpen, as Philip Deal, the only lefty in the bullpen for this team, I believe, gives up four runs and two-thirds of an inning. Luis Sessa winds up giving up a run in an inning. Alexis Diaz winds up giving you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and Jeff Hoffman, he wound up coming in, he gets four outs, gives up an unearned run as he wound up having a pair of errors out there in the field, but... Boy, things are rough for the Reds, and I believe that the Reds wound up winning on opening night as well, which means that they have now gone two and seventeen in their last 19 games. And that is Arizona Diamondbacks' base right there. The LA Dodgers they wind up taking down the Detroit Tigers very easily, five to one. The final is. Mr. Alexander, Tyler Alexander, gives up four runs in two and a third innings to the bullpen, I will say. They did a rock-solid job. They wind up going five and two-thirds innings. They give up one run, and that was an unrun run. As Javi Bias winds up committing an error for the Dodgers, they did wind up taking Mr. Alexander deep twice. Justin Turner down for, what, his first home run season, and Chris Taylor is first as well, but... For the Tigers, they couldn't catch up to Tyler Anderson. winds giving up one run over the course of five innings. Evan Phillips, Phil Bickford, Bursuto Gradual, Reyes Monanta. All they would give you a scoreless inning and for the Tigers. They wind up getting six hits in this one. They really couldn't put men in scoring position as they went just one of two there. So the Dodgers able to get a very easy win there. The Oakland A's wind up chucking a little bit of a lead as they wound up leading twice in this game by three plus runs. And they blow both leads. Nine to eight. The Cleveland Guardians are able to get it done as... For the Guardians, Jose Ramirez now has seven home runs this season. He goes deep off of one of Frankie Montas in the first inning, and then Andres Jimenez gets Montas as well. He gets a grand slam, his second home run season. Josh Naylor would go out deep off of Domingo Acevedo as well as second home run season as. Both of these starters had a rough night. Aaron Savali gives up six runs over the course of four innings, including home run. Going deep for the Oakland A's, Sean Murphy, his fourth home run season. From there, you do wind up having seven Give you one and the third inning, scoreless. Emmanuel Classe winds up getting a third state of, of the season with a scoreless setting. And you do have Trevor Steven come in. He gives you two scoreless settings. although Anya De Los Santos gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. But for Montes on the flip side for Oakland, gives up five runs over the course of five innings for the A's. They are now 5-5 five five in their last 10 games of scoring two runs or fear in seven of them. I still find that to be hilarious, but Justin Grimm, very grim night for him. He gives up two runs and gets one out. Domingo Acevedo gives up two runs in an inning. AJ Puck, two scoreless innings from him, and Sam Ball is able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. By the way, Fred Reyes, now 0 of his last 25 with 17 strikeouts, scoring to Mandy Bell. So... It's not necessarily so great there. What is not great is when the Texas Rangers wind up pitching Spencer Howard. And he wind up losing once again by a count of 6-3 of as for the Atlanta Braves. They touch them all four different times in this game as you wind up having Austin Riley be able to get his sixth home run season. That comes off of Garrett Richards' Travis Stemwright, he goes deep off of Mr. Howard for his second home run season. And then home runs number one and two of the season for one, William Contreras. He goes deep off of Mr. Alberto Abreu. Abreu, he winds giving up one run over the course of one and a third innings. And then he would also take Mr. Brock Burke deep. Burke gives up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of his two innings. Spencer Howard, along with Brett Martin, combined to be able to give you two innings. Only one run surrendered by... Spencer hour, but he left with the bases loaded, and Martin was able to hold from there. Garrett Richards as the opener. He gives up two runs over the course of an inning, so he takes the L. Colby Allard, two and two thirds inning scoreless, so. He was able to do a solid job there. And for the Rangers, pair of home runs. 8 of these has 4th home run season that comes off of Ian Anderson. And then Will Smith gets jiggy with the deal of home run to Corey Seager. 3rd home run season, but for Anderson, relatively solid. start, gives up 2 runs over the course of 6 innings. Will Smith gives up that solo home run over the course of an inning. But Kenley Jansen closes the door. He gets a 6th save of the season with a scoreless inning. And Jesse Chavez... Tyler Matzik. They both combined to be able to give you a scoreless setting. Got a lot of scoreless settings from the New York Mets. They hold the Philadelphia Phillies scoreless. Three to zero the final. Aaron Supernova his road struggles continue and gives up three runs over the course of six innings, including a bomb by Pete Alonso. Hey, I think Ariel Epstein was calling for that as well. As every time she comes on this podcast, she always delivers a good. Says you wind up having Alonzo get his fourth home run of the season and Tether McGill five scoreless innings out of him, and then Drew Smith, Julie Rodriguez both give you a scoreless inning. Seth Lugo and. Edwin Diaz mop up the final two innings of this game as you did wind up having also Nick Nelson. BO give you two scoreless innings for the Philadelphia Phillies, but for the Phillies, they wind up getting no hit in this game. There was the New York Mets putting a couple men on base with walks as there were six in total, but a combined no hitter for the New York Metropolitan. So, rough night out there for the Philadelphia Phillies and a rough night for the Minnesota Twins. Six to one, they wind up losing to the Tampa Bay Rays as the Rays wind up making Dylan Bunny look more like Al Bundy To the credit of Bunny, he wound up completing six innings, but... Gave up six runs all of which were earned four of which were in the first inning as Mike Zanino takes him deep for his first home run season. Then he went up getting the first home run of the season out of Josh Lau. So he was able to get loud as Corey Kaluber, very good start here. For the Rays, a Rays bullpen that has been very much taxed. Six innings pitch gives up one run. Avi Garrett gives you a scoreless inning. And then Phoenix Sanders is able to give you two scoreless. As the Twins are only able to muster three hits. Danny Columby comes in. He's able to give you two scoreless settings of relief. But certainly a little bit of a rough go of it for the Minnesota Twins. And after a relatively rough start to the season for the Tampa Bay Rays, they've all of a sudden been able to get things online. They've won five out of their last six games. This is just bad. If you're the Chicago White Sox, or if you're a fan of the Chicago White Sox, gotta be concerned here. The LA Angels were supposed to start Noah Thor Syndergaard. He wound up coming down with an illness I could not start, so instead, Jimmy Erget winds up starting what turns out to be an impromptu bullpen game, and the White Sox get one run. 5-1 to one the final. erget gives up a one run over the course of three innings, and then Art Warren, two scoreless settings. Archie Bradley, a scoreless setting. Aaron Lupa, a scoreless setting. Ryan Tapere, a scoreless setting. And then the pitching machine came out and he wound up giving a scoreless setting as well. I'm kidding, of course. Mike Myers and Rossi Iglesias close out the game, but not great for the Chicago White Sox, were are now 7 and 12 and I believe have lost eight out of their last set. As Taylor Ward is able to get his fifth home run season, that comes off of Lucas Giolito. And also in the first inning, Shoy Otani goes deep off of Giolito, his fourth home run season. For Giolito, gives up three runs over the course of six innings, including both of those home runs. and and then you wind up having Ryan Burr and Bennett Sousa both give up a run in an inning of work. Matt Foster was able to combine with Mr. Anderson and Severino for a scoreless inning. But it's White Sox offense. Boy, is it lost right now. This is an offense that they have scored four runs or fewer in all but one out of their last, I believe it's now, 11 games. So, boy, it is not great out there. And you know what? It is very good to be an Houston Astros fan once again, as they wind up being able to take down the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 11-7. Their offense, you figured it would get online, and it did, as you do wind up having Jordan Alvarez go deep off of Trevor Richards, who had a really rough night in this one. Fifth home run season, Jeremy Pena takes Richards deep. Fourth home run season, and Alex Bregman a home run in the first inning off of Yusei Kikuchi for the season for Kikuchi. Gives up four runs at two and two-thirds innings. Trent Thornton from there actually takes a loss. One and a third innings, he gives up one run and then you wind up having Richards, who I mentioned earlier. Got four outs, gave up five runs, including two of those bombs. You wind up having Julian Merriweather from there come in for one and two-thirds innings scoreless. You wind up having scoreless innings out of David Phelps and Andrew Vasquez. So, they were able to do their job. And for the Blue Jays, offense was there. They scored a touchdown. Flagger or Junior gets his sixth home run season off of Jose Udekiti, and he winds up getting three RBI in the process. Matt Chapman gets his fourth of the campaign, as well as Udekiti winds up giving up four runs over the course of five innings. That home run to Chapman, give it up by Phil Maiden. Gives up two runs over the course of an inning. And you do have Brian Abreu give up a run and in an inning. But Ryan Sanic Hector Nares, they're able to get online. They give you a of sending And for the Houston Astros, they wind up being able to get their fourth straight win on the road. Just their first win in their last three games. That wound up being by multiple runs, by the way. So, interesting note there if you're taking a look at run lines. And if you're taking a look at the run line, you know what? the Slam Diego Padres, they were able to get that one easily for you. As they wind up taking down the poopy Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 7-3. to three. Hugh Darvish was able to come in with a relatively solid start. Gives up three runs over the course of six innings for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They do go three of 10 with men in scoring position, but Zach Thompson was actually solid with the Miami Marlins last year. Not getting online this year. Four runs given up in four and a third innings, including a bomb going deep for the San Diego Padres. That would be awesome not move. After a bad first year, coming over from the KBO has found it third home run of the season. Jake Cronenworth goes deep off of Sam Howard. Second home run of the season for Howard. Gives up a run and in an inning. You do wind up having two of innings out of Bull Solzer, and you do wind up having Aaron Fletcher and Ethan Emory combined for one and two-thirds innings. They both gave up a run apiece. So, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they continue their little bit of a swoon as they have now lost four straight games, and they have lost five out of their last six, and... In that time span, I think that they've got some ridiculous run differential of 33 runs because that was a part of that 21-0 game that they wound up having against the Chicago Cubs. And this is a game that's just wrapping up as I'm doing this podcast. I have to have this up by midnight Pacific time. And this is not a case in which I think that we're going to be seeing a comeback because I'm right now doing this as we're approaching the ninth inning as... The Washington Nationals are up by a count of 14-4 on the San Francisco Giants. Adon Sanchez is going to get the win wound up going five innings for the Nationals. winds up giving up three runs. They wind up giving up a home run going deep for the San Francisco Giants. You do have Joey Bart getting his third home run season. That came off of Sam Clay, who winds up giving up a run in an inning and then the Sanchez home run that he wound up allowing that one coming to Jason Fossler. First home run of the season. Awesome, both C.C. C- Sheck. They were able to combine for a scoreless setting as well. And for Juan Soto, he winds up being able to get his fourth home run of the campaign. That winds up coming off of Alex Wood and That seems it right now. The Washington Nationals 11 of 21 with men in scoring position. So, let's say they've been able to do a solid job there as Wood. He had the Wood laid to him. He winds up giving up five runs over the course of five innings. Junior Marte gives up three runs while getting one out. Jarlon Garcia gives up an unearned run in the bullpen as Brandon Crawford has a pair of errors in this game. And then it wound up getting to the point where Mauricio Lovera wanted coming in for a scoreless inning. You wound up having Kervin Castro, by the way, give up five runs at two-thirds of an inning before Tyler Beattie wanted cleaning up his mess. So, very clearly in over there. And if you're just taking a look at Major League Baseball in general, we're going to be talking about this a little bit more with our good friend Ben Wilson on the other side. It has been very much an underseason thus far. As it stands right now, this is, I am pretty sure, with the Nationals and Giants game pending. 161 unders. 113 overs, so right around 58.9% of games have wound up going under the total line. It's been a rough year for underdogs. 110, and 181 straight up. So, underdogs hitting at right around 37.7% of the time, but for favorites, they've won 181 games, but wound up missing on the run line in 44 of those games. So, there have been 44 one-run wins by favorites this season. I think a big product of that is just the low amount of scoring that we've been seeing in general. So, Going to be very fascinating to see how those numbers wind up looking in a few weeks from now, but it certainly has been very much an underseason, and we're going to be talking about that and so much more with our good friend Ben Wilson. He does a great job with the show, The Run Line, over at v Also a man that does a lot of play-by-play work coming up next, talking to the National League Central, talking about guys that wind up perennially getting off to hot and cold starts, how to be able to gauge that, and how to just take a look at things moving forward with regards to these Turtles as well. That's up next right here on the Baseball Winning Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beacons Family Podcast.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run. Every hit. Every inning. Every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport. Whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio if you were someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
3: I bet you're smart.
4: Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow.
2: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
3: It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up
4: the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. zumo play
2: breaking down every game every day in major league baseball this is the baseball betting show here is your host greg peterson
5: and we're back here in lovely las vegas for the baseball betting show with myself greg peterson now a part of the Vison family of podcasts and it is great to be joined by our guests as ben wilson does absolutely amazing work over there at Vison, and it's our new baseball show it is called the run line you're able to catch that every Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific time, if you're looking out there on the East Coast. That's from 8 to 10. On top of that, this man does a great job taking a look at college sports and doing play-by-play for it. He does quite a bit of baseball. He does when it comes to college basketball season a lot. With that regard, he actually caught him on. Fox Sports won a little bit during the college basketball season as well, so this is a man that stays very busy, and to be able to follow Ben on Twitter, easy enough. His name, Ben underscore Wilson, and you've got another underscore after that, and then the number one. So Ben underscore Wilson underscore one. And Ben, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, absolutely, Greg. Would never
6: pass up an opportunity to
5: come on your lovely show. So thank you, as always, for the invite. I would never pass up an opportunity to get you on, Ben. And let's, first things first, talk about what we've seen this baseball season. Going into Friday, right around 595 half or so percent of games have wound up going under the total line. I mean, I keep saying this. I typically do like unders when it comes to the beginning part of the baseball season. So seeing a little bit of an edge to the under is certainly not a surprise. I'm a little bit surprised that it's 59.5%. It's just been very strange to take a look at this season. If you had to adjust your handicap at all, because like I said, I thought that we would see a few more unders. I feel like some of these totals where you've got like sevens in a game between JT Burbaker and Sean Manea that's going to be going down on Saturday, we just went a little bit too far with some of these.
6: What I'm really interested to see too, because normally like such a big part of my handicap around this time, we're almost a month in with our sample sizes. I always look like looking at pitchers who have gotten really unlucky just from an advanced metric standpoint. Because like a lot of times pitchers get off the slow starts too, and you have some that the spin rates or the velocity isn't totally built up. And I think what has been overshadowed a little bit, Greg, by that is obviously the fact that nobody's hitting. And with the humidor and the front fly ball rates way down now, there's still the reality, though, that there were so many pitchers that were just ramping themselves up pretty slowly from spring training. So that's what's interesting for me, where there are guys like Aaron Savali is a great example, who like his expected ERA right now is literally the exact same, actually slightly better than what it was Last year, and last year, you know, he won 12 games and had a sub-350 ERA. This year, he's been a disaster, and it's like a a near 10 ERA. He was in a game Friday night with the lowest total on the board. So that kind of tells you in a nutshell, you know, the market with some pitchers is kind of trending toward the, okay, let's just look at what's happening as a whole in Major League Baseball on a macro front, and not so much the pitcher themselves. I'm interested, I'm looking for some of these opportunities of guys who, if you're in spots where maybe it, it is on paper a bad matchup against the lineup where, say, a pitcher has struggled, but he's got good, you know, like a super high bat or or lots of positive regression metrics seemingly to come his way when we kind of easily forget, Greg, there's been all this ramp up for the pitchers, too. There's obviously a lot of guys having tons of success, like Max Scherzer, the first one who comes to mind, and many others. There's still a number of pitchers who are kind of working their way into things, and Max Fried has been a great example, who now for the second straight year has just looked horrific for two or three starts, And then it's just been an absolute stud from there on out. And and trying to find spots where the betting markets, maybe not really anticipating that is what I've been looking for, but a little more difficult, at least, especially on totals, because these things have been just juiced way, way down, as you, I know, have talked about basically every day on your show.
5: Yeah, it's been really interesting to take a look at some of these totals because when well, you do wind up getting a lot of these seven totals when you've got like Bailey Ober is one of the starters out there and it's not like he's facing off against Max Scherzer or anything like that. You just sit there and go, man, I think we might have went a little bit too far here. So that certainly is something to take a look at. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Ben Wilson. And Ben, when I take a look at things as well, it's going to be intriguing to take a look at a team from our home state in the Milwaukee Brewers because... I felt like they didn't necessarily get off to the world's greatest start to the year wound up having some question marks with the offense. And I think we both agree. The offense still has quite a few question marks, but I feel like things have sorted itself out with regards to starting pitching. I do feel like the starters first starter to around like many out there, they were just held back a little bit. They weren't necessarily in full form. Brandon Woodruff being able to return to form, being able to see what we wound up getting out of Freddie Peralta in his last start. I think that that's very encouraging and, I do take a look at this National League Central, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be as much of a walk as many people thought it was going to be, because I feel like so many people handed it to them, really didn't give the Cardinals too much of a shot, and I have a little Mm. bit more respect for the Cardinals, but I do take a look at the Brewers and the Cardinals. I think both of these teams look very solid, and they could be able to make some noise out there in a National League that feels somewhat open, even though a lot of people, they're going to be having the Dodgers at the top team, rightfully so, but after that, I do feel like who should be team number two, team number three. That's a very good debate. Right. It's actually too
6: at the NL Central. They were so early in the season. But once again, I mean, the Brewers, they win the division last year and they were, despite going under 500 against against winning teams last season, they just beat up on, you know, obviously last year, horrible season for the Cubs and the the Reds, Pirates, teams like that. And it's kind of playing out pretty similar this year where you have a Brewers team that's what, 11 and seven? And they've just spanked the Pirates so far at 6-0 and in, in games against them. So, like, the hitting is what would be more worrisome for me. I mean, when you have a lineup where Andrew McCutcheon is your best hitter and he is legitimately winning you a game on his own, that's probably not a sign that uh, there's going to be a lot of longevity there. I'm just very curious to see how that will develop. But one pitcher is, I think, the Brewer rotation and kind of the back-end guys sometimes get a bad rap where everybody loves the handicap of, you know, that Woodruff-Burns-Peralta trio we've seen better just fall in love with those guys and rightly so because of how good they are. But Eric Lauer has really taken a huge leap this year and they've changed a lot of his pitch arsenal. He's throwing fewer fastballs, but he's throwing his fastball harder. He's he's picked up almost like three miles per hour on his fastball velocity, it has turned into much more of a swing and miss pitch for him. He's throwing more sliders, more curveballs. He's he's really mixed his arsenal a lot better. And he's so far again, it's, it's early. You don't want to overreact, but I mean, in three starts, like the guy has been just phenomenal. And the strikeout rate is among the best in, in the majors, and we and a lot of people, you know, public betters, saw him probably for the first time in extended action in, in the Sunday night baseball game last week. So I'm curious, like where the market goes on on a guy like him, and you know maybe with the Brewers for now. With how poor the hitting has been, and they're sitting, they're sitting what twenty fourth in the big leagues in team OPS. Maybe that is one of those spots, Greg. Where even with the overall odds maker shift here to these unders, with how good the at least the top end of the starting rotation has been, bullpens had some issues. Like maybe this is a team where, like say, a first five under will continue to be really really profitable, even as you continue to get kind of squeezed here by the books. I'll be curious to see what that ends up being. I know I saw the opening total for Saturday here at about eight, partly because Jason Steele has not been great for the Cubs, and the Brewers are a favorite there, but. It's a really fascinating team. It kind of plays in exactly to what we've seen just from that wider range perspective of baseball betting as a whole this year.
5: Yeah, it has been interesting to be able to take a look at that. And you do mention Eric Lauer. You mentioned it totals anywhere between 7.5 and 8. Mostly seeing 7.5 and got Justin Steele going on the other side for the Chicago Cubs. And I do take a look at this spot and Steele. If you take a look at his career ERA versus fielding independent, fielding independent is about a point higher, which means that you're probably doing for a little bit of regression with him. He's someone that has an essay of great command. And I'm in logs up with you on Eric Lauer, probably not going to get as many generous strike calls as we (laughs) want him seeing on Sunday night baseball. Angel Hernandez, I don't know what he was looking at that night, but he clearly wanted to be like good old Leslie Nielsen from, one of the great movies of all time, The Naked Gun. But that said, I do take a look at this fight. I do think that it's a good spot for the Brewers. And once again, I do think that this is a total that's one a little bit too low, but something else I take a look at in this game, I recognize that the Cubs in recent days have been slowed down a little bit, but this has actually been a sneaky good Cubs offense, and I really can't trust in the bullpen either. So I do think that the Cubs, when it's all said and done, might be one of your better over teams out there in baseball.
6: No question. Impressed with a lot of the things they've done. I mean, you look at yeah, I mean, their offense, a lot of the advanced numbers, they've been the best offense in the National League so far. It's been impressive with how many young guys they have in that lineup and the perceived rebuild. Like, if there is a team, too, you talk about, okay, how can you kind of go against the grain? Like, where do you expect the regression to come? I'm with you. I mean, it does feel more of like a, like an over team, especially too where I mean, outside of Kyle Hendricks, who is, you know, I would say the one guy you can semi-trust right now with how Marcus Stroman has just been brutal. You kind of wait for the turnaround there. Not sure what's going to happen. They're going to be putting a lot more trust into uh, guys like Drew Smiley, and as you know, we've seen that bullpen get really, really taxed. It's not a good bullpen where even just getting to you know, David Robertson is a very large challenge in and of itself. And their longer lever leave just a little to be desired. So if you're in a matchup where you're getting the bottom end of those NL Central teams, like when the Cubs play like the Reds and the Pirates, where you would assume those lines to be. Relatively, uh, even with the Cubs slight favorites, like I, I like them in matchups like that where they can just outslug teams. I'm not sure how the series will play out. Where Milwaukee had just has had a crazy travel week. I wonder. Like I could easily see the Cubs winning this series as a whole because of how the Birds had to go to Philadelphia, came home Monday for a single game against the Giants, go to Pittsburgh for three, come back without any days off in between. But I, it's one of those teams. I, I kind of feel like the Cubs are lining up to be that. Good mediocre team that does enough to win in the seventy five win range, but they're not really going to threaten anything. There are going to be spots though if you're if you're picking your moments with them where they will be really profitable this year. And uh, in the lineup is especially with Sayo Suzuki kind of anchoring things, seeing Hap, Wilson Contreras. They're doing a lot of things from a hitting perspective. It's it's the pitching that is is got to catch up, and there's a pretty big gap there.
5: I totally agree with you there, especially with just not having the bullpen pieces that you need. The Professor Kyle Hendricks is like the clear number one starter for this team, aside from Marcus Stroman, but stroman got gone off to a little bit of a rough start as well. So certainly is a little bit of an interesting case there, as we do have Ben Wilson doing a great job over there with the Red Line, our new show at VEASAN, joining me right here on the podcast, and Ben, when I take a look at the National League Central as well, we talked about the main teams in the Milwaukee Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals, but you got the Cincinnati Reds and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily going great for them. It appears as though Connor Overton is going to be a, getting a start for them. And when we thought of worst teams in baseball coming into the season, obviously the Baltimore Orioles wanted coming to mind. The Pittsburgh Pirates, they were certainly towards the top of the list as well, but man the Reds to their detriment they've been dealing with a lot of injuries so I think that has a little bit of something to play into this rough start but right now looking at a Reds team that when it's all said and done they're going to be at minimum a bottom three team in baseball and I just take a look at this team and I don't know whether they're going to be a good over or an under team because they don't hit for average but at the same time they've got the worst ERA by above. 0.8 Point eight points entering into what we wound up seeing on Friday. So it's just a team that all around is really rough. Yeah, no, it, it
6: is dire. And what's wild too is that you enter this weekend and it's sitting at a spot where you're 3-17, 15 of your losses, you haven't even covered the run line. Like the question, I guess, Greg becomes, and I mean, I mean you're setting lines every day. It's like, at what point does it become so egregious with the way these Eventually, these lines are going to get juiced. That you just eventually like have to take some stabs on the Reds. Like I know some people in the industry who finally were, you know, they were ready to fire on the Reds in that getaway day game against the Padres, which didn't work out. You know, once again and once again, they didn't even cover the run line. You figure that they're not going to win three of every twenty games all season, but really, I just don't see a path forward. The hitting thing is what is because you know there's just no arms, especially with some of the injuries they've had. And even their bright youngsters that they were expecting a lot out of, even not the top guys like like a Nicoladolo type who's now on the shelf. They were at least expecting some innings out of him. But what it surprised me more is the hitting where, like, I was really high on Joey Botto coming into the season. I love the way he, he changed his game last year. Still had a really good walk rate, but he was willing to hit for probably 36 homers last year. And despite keeping his good eye at the plate, you know, I mean, it was a, whatever, slightly inflated BAPF last year, about 287. But it's not like, you know, you figured he would take that big of a, a step back this year. I mean, it has been so bad. He, like, WRC Plus is like one of the worst hitters in baseball right now after being one of the best guys last year. Like, I don't know how you could it really account for, you know, such a drop-off. Like, his isolated power is barely over zero. I mean, it's it's just absurd how bad he has been so far. And what the issue is is when you – obviously, when you trade away like, you know, three of your key pieces on your lineup, there's just not much else around. And so, when, like, a guy like that – and, you know, it's easy to say now, age 39 season, like, should we have seen this coming – I didn't at all. And that's the thing where like at some point I I trust a guy like that turning it around. Like Kyle Farmer is like, I mean, actually I like him as a hitter and he's going to get more opportunities probably in the middle of that order. Like you figure Mike Vistakis, he's just coming off an IL, you know, Nick Senzel, that should at least help a little bit. If you're making me pick, like, is this, you know, it seems like more of an over team going forward, Greg, but I'm not sure how you feel about it. Like, what is the threshold for what number is too high to set these teams just blindly facing the Reds? The hitting is going to come around at some point, but how much of that will really counteract what's just been a disaster of the pitching staff? That I'm not really sure
5: of. Yep, I am right there with you, and well, I can tell you right now, in terms of the proper price, what we wound up seeing on Friday, and we're recording this before we know what wound up happening in Rockies versus Reds, but the Reds being like a even money, plus 105-ish team... And that's what I can tell you right now. I don't necessarily think that that's correct. And how much do you wind up putting into things? Because we were just talking about the Reds, where you do have guys that they just traditionally get off to slow starts, and then they pick it up towards the back half of the season. Because we saw that with Joey Votto last year. He was terrible in the first half of the season. Back half of the season, he was one of the best players in all of baseball, and it does feel like there are a few guys out there in the league that are sort of like that. Typically, Alex Bregman is. He's been a little bit better towards the beginning part of the season this year, but I always do think that that's very interesting take a look at because you do have some guys that they wind up starting slow and then they wind up closing very, very strong. We saw that actually with a lot of the Tigers pitchers last season. Then you've got other guys as well that they start very strong like a U Darvish should last year and then they fade towards back half the season as well.
6: Right. Yeah and I try not to just you know unless there's like a pretty obvious set of like historical precedent for it I'm I'm trying to avoid especially with how weird because consider like coming out of the pandemic year, and then of course this year with the lockout, I've been pushing against that thought in my mind to just sort of say, like, oh, all right, this guy's automatically gonna be a slow starter and finish hot or you know, or vice versa. It's kinda of like by investing in Joey Votto, you know, at least in like the you know, the fantasy market site like that, but sort of believing and going against what maybe some of that at least recent historical precedent had shown. But I mean, in cases of pictures, there have been some really interesting guys. I mentioned Max Fried. So this is two straight years now, Greg where he's been like a bottom five in all of Major League Baseball pitcher the first basically two starts of each of his last two seasons. It was two starts this year. It was three starts last year. It's like those five starts combined, he's had like a nine ERA – his numbers are just absolutely pitiful. And then the rest of the year, and I sometimes like using like the fantasy, like the player Raiders to give me a good idea of, okay, what's, an, what's the actual total value here for these pitchers, which can kind of then help shape your view on them from a betting market perspective. And it's like, how accurately are they being priced into the market? Even though, as we know, lines are not solely just starting pitcher based. Like Max Fried was one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball. If you took out his first three starts from last year, he's so far, I mean, he's on pace to basically be that. I mean, I know he's only made two starts in his first two and they've gone very, very well. I don't know that I'm ready again, just trying to be cautious here, but it's not enough. I'm ready to make that like proclamation, but it is just wild that that is one of those numbers you just don't expect to see. And so with Freed, and we find that the market was very quick to, to correct, even though the Braves as a team have been struggling. But we're sub 500 and you know now obviously they get Cunha back in the fold here. But that's one of those situations where I'm, I'm going to be ready to go in on Freed in a lot of his spots, just, you know, kind of depending on the pitching matchups. And that's like, I feel pretty confident, even though, again, it's four starts. You don't want to take like a a ton of things as gospel. But specific situations like that, where you've now seen, like, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, you and I, Greg, we watch baseball every day. It's hard to know why that would happen. And not only why it would happen, why it would be so pronounced in back-to-back seasons it's, it's impossible to say for sure all i know is like i really love him and, and as a pitcher love his advanced numbers he hasn't really even been an app dependent guy throughout his career at least over the, if you look at since 2020 so that's just one example i mean there are others but like that's a guy who i'm going to continue to be backing wondering how quickly the market like now that the cooney's in the lineup like well we start to see some of those big you know two dollar prices on freed every time out which we re- until that you know the cubs game was the last time we saw it his last start. We haven't really been seeing that though with Freed based on the early uh, struggles that he's had.
5: Yeah, it's been interesting to take a look at Max Freed in recent years because as you mentioned in the back half of the season last year, that guy was absolutely dominant. Did wind up having a hiccup or two in the uh, championship series and the world series, but then was able to close it out against the Houston Astros. First start against the Reds of all teams, wound up having a rough it, but ever since then has been rock solid. So I'm going to be taking a look at that. And, well, Ben, someone who's always rock solid, a man that always winds up bringing it, never has a bad start, that would be you. You do an absolutely amazing job with everything that you wind up doing because I know that you do a lot with regards to play-by-play work. I know that you've got some of those games coming up in recent weeks. You do a lot of baseball towards this time of season. When it comes to the winter, you do a lot of college basketball, play-by-play as well, and over at v You've done great work with the Visa and Vet Center. Now that's pretty much turned into the run line, which you're able to hear 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific time every Sunday with you and Adam Burke. So love the good people at home know what's all up for you the next few weeks and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Greg, as always, appreciate
6: it. The old uh, Ben underscore Wilson underscore number one on the Twitter machine uh, and doing a lot of arena football right now. It's been crazy. I'm on the road in Boston this weekend with the game on Sunday. So hopefully that will be in good things that I'm in Boston while our Milwaukee Bucks, our home uh, state team there, Greg, are also in Boston taking on the Celtics. But uh, yeah, between the baseball handicap and every day and then doing the uh, spring football, it certainly kept be busy. So uh, so can't complain and going to be doing Doing some college baseball postseason here next month. It'll be great seeing some
5: of these prospects up close and in person before uh, the draft. We're just, we'll roll right into it. It's going to be really interesting to take a look at what we find getting out of the Milwaukee Bucks as well. Because they're the reigning champions, even though a lot of people, they did not want to seem to give them a whole lot of credit. But I do take a look at that team, and I think that they've got a solid shot, even with Chris Middleton dealing with a little bit of an injury and a man that is always firing on 100%. A man that always brings it on this podcast is Ben Wilson. It is always great to get him aboard, and he delivered the goods once again today. So, big thanks, him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Saturday as we touch them all.
4: Mo Play. Zumo play.
2: Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
5: We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the baseball betting show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the V family family podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Ben Wilson on. He does a great job over at VSN doing our new baseball show called The Run Line. You're able to catch that every Sunday. From 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific Time. Guy does a lot over there at the network and does a lot of play-by-play as well. So if you're someone that you're into college sports, he is a man that has you covered on a little bit of everything. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Saturday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit at underscore 81. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then we do have a couple interleague games, and those are going to be at the bottom. So that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy, and we are going to be going with that first National League game of 901-902 on the betting board. The Arizona Diamondbacks at the road off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Miles Michaelis is going to be going for the Cards, and Merrill Kelly is going to be on the bump for Arizona. Arizona is finding themselves anywhere between plus 157 and seeing as bad as plus 145. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at St. Louis, you're going to be finding them and we're between minus 160 and minus 180, with seven half being your total. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and even money. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. Seeing a straight seven out there as well. That over is minus 125, and the under is plus 105. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks, I do need at least a plus 159 to be able to take a shot here. And I'm seeing a couple run lines right now on the St. Louis Cardinals find that anywhere between plus 125 and plus 135. I did make this a plus 127 on the run line of the Cardinals, so as it stands right now, I'd be taking a look at that plus 135 run line with them. You do take a look at Arizona, and I like Merrill Kelly. Merrill Kelly has been able to do a terrific job for Arizona, but throughout his career he does have an ERA that's over a point point a half higher when he is on the road rather than at home, so he's a guy that I'm looking to back a lot more in Arizona rather than on the road, and he's facing off against a lineup in the St. Louis Cardinals. That is one of better ones that you're going to find out there in the big leagues going into Friday, Nolan Arenado Five home runs, hitting a three he He's been absolutely tremendous. Tommy Edmund, four stolen bases, three home runs, hitting above three hundred. Albert Pujols has been able to give you a pair of bombs. He's actually been halfway decent in the lineup. Yadier Molina is starting to pick it up after a rough start to the year. Paul Goldschmidt approaching 300 And then you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the starting lineup that they wound up throwing out there for Friday. And two guys hitting above a 226. Baven Smith and Seth Beer. Hooray Beer. And he is starting to go down a little bit as well. Now, the good news is Dalvin Varsho, Christian Walker, they both threw out four home runs for the team, so they do have a little bit of hard contact guys in there as well, but when you've got, as a collective, a team that is hitting seventy eight, it's not necessarily so great even when you are drawing a few walks, and then for the Diamondbacks, they don't necessarily back up Kelly with the world's greatest bullpen. They did break up Keenan Middleton. I think that he's going to be able to give you a little bit of something. Ian Kennedy has been halfway decent for them, but Mark Melanson, he is currently injured and, and is not good because he you as their most trustworthy believer. Meanwhile, you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals and. I do recognize they wind up having that blow up against the New York Metropolitans on Monday but TJ McFarland has been solid for this team. Genesis Cabrera is on the injured list but you do have Giovanni Gallegos being able to give you some good innings quicker and who does wind up coming over from Cleveland. He's been able to do a solid job and with Michael, he's looked very good this season. Someone who is not going to put guys on very cheaply. Now, also is not necessarily too much of a swing and miss guy but, it's like said, 22 and a third innings, 4 walks, 18 strikeouts this season, buck 21 ERA. Merrill- I do think that is Buck 69 ERA, especially with being backed up by a not necessarily so great defense going to rise. So, with current numbers right now, i would be mean, taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals on the run line. Now, if we would get up to right around like a plus 160, that could change with the Diamondbacks, and well, the Diamondbacks are probably not going to be getting this steam here, but as it stands right now, looking at the Cardinals at that plus 135 run line, and with my total, did set it at a 7.2. You've got a Arizona Diamondbacks team just not doing a good job of being able to put back to ball. Merrill Kelly himself has been able to pitch relatively well. So, looking under and looking at the Cardinals run line. 9-3, 9-4 on the betting board. The Francisco. Francisco Giants going to be playing against the Washington Nationals. Yoan is going to be going for the Nets and Logan Webb is going to be on the bump for San Francisco. San Francisco anywhere between a minus 235 and a minus 250 favorite. Meanwhile, with the Nets it's anywhere between plus $2 and plus 212. 7.5 is your total. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and even money under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. I do why I'm saying. My total and an 8.2 the ball in San Francisco actually travels a little bit differently during the daytime versus the nighttime and this is an early your game. This is going to be 1:05 p.m. Pacific time, local time. So, I was going to be able to help out with that. And Logan Webb, he has been so dominant for the San Francisco Giants. You just take a look at it. And since the beginning of the 2021 season, he has made 15 pitching appearances, 14 starts in San Francisco during the regular season. The Giants have not lost a single one. And then you take a look at you on Adon before he wanted making his start against the Boston Red Sox in the 2021 season, he had never pitched above high A baseball, and it clearly shows. He's made four starts. He has given up at least four runs in three of them. The only exception is when he wound up going up against the poopy Arizona Diamondbacks. That is not necessarily so great, and when it comes to this Washington Nationals lineup, you do have a couple guys doing a solid job, but we are reach base. Josh Bell is sitting above the 300. He's been able to give you a pair of homers, 14 RBI, Juan Soto. He's got a 400 on base, a 240 batting average he needs to be pulled up a little bit, but so doing a solid job I'll be able to draw some walks. But Nelson Cruz has been hanging below the Mendoza line. Seems like age is starting to catch up with him. Then you've got Lane Thomas, LCD's Escobar, Victor Robles. Guys at the bottom of the lineup. Hanging below the Mendoza line of 200. And I do recognize that the Giants, it's not like they're doing the world's greatest job of being able to just get on base in general. And Jack Peterson is dealing with an injury. He's got six home runs this season. But you do have Omar Flores, who's been solid for the same pair of homers Right around 315 on base. Brandon Crawford, 315 on base. Brandon Belt for Omer runs and just 66 at-bats. This guy's been amazing. Since the beginning of last season, Mikey Sarmsky has been dealing with a little bit of COVID, so he's been in and out of the fold, but has been able to get on base as well, and what the Giants really have going for them. Best bullpen in the big leagues ever since the beginning of last season. Only bullpen in Major League Baseball last season that had a sub-3 ERA. They had Junior Marte to that, and they bring back a lot of your reliable guys from last season. Tyler Rogers, Jose Alvarez, Camilo Duval, Charlin Garcia, and you just don't have that with the Washington Nationals. You have to rely upon Austin Volt to be able to give you some innings. Paulo Espino is someone that's going to be able to give you long relief along with Victor Arano and for the San Francisco Giants with Logan Webb ever since the beginning of last season at home. He's got right around a two-ish ERA. I do think that he's going to come in, hold down the fort. I do think the Nationals do wind up putting a drive into a ball or two, but I think that Adon winds up getting completely destroyed. And with the Giants, I did wind up setting their run line at a pretty hefty number. I'm willing to lay up to a minus 140. Currently, at DraftKings, I'm seeing a minus 120. They're really the only run line that I'm seeing available. I was willing to lay more like a 260 on the money line. I would much rather reduce the juice because I do think that 8-0 winds up getting destroyed. So my my total a little bit over 8. So here at a 7.5, I'm going to be looking over. And with the Giants, I'm going to reduce the juice here. And I'm going to be taking a look at that run line. 9-5, 9-6 on the betting board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing host to the Slam Diego Padres. Sean Menez is going to be going for the pause and J.T. Brubaker is going to be on the bump for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is anywhere between a plus 145 and a plus 161 underdog. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the pods, it's anywhere between minus 165 and minus 175 with your total 7. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. And when it comes to Manea, it's been a relatively solid start. For him in San Diego, aside from when he winds going up against the LA Dodgers, because the Dodgers at this point are pretty much a death star, I was willing to lay up to a minus 164 on the money line with the Padres. So, in the neighborhood, I don't have enough of a plus price to be able to take the Pirates, but if you're looking at the run line, currently, you're finding that at even money, and I was willing to lay up to a minus 113, so I'm going to be taking a look at the Padres run line, because I do think that they're going to be able to get to Brew Baker. I think that he's going to give up runs of plenty, 646 ERA thus far this season, and even go back to last season with Mr. Brew Baker. He was a little bit better at home. He posted up a 379. He already given up 10 home runs of 59 and two-thirds innings, but overall, 536 ERA, 28 bombs and 24 starts across 124 and a third innings. It's just absolutely brutal, and you do have a Padres team that they've been able to do a great job of being able to put back to ball. They had scored at least a touchdown in each of their last three games, granted against the Reds, but they were able to get a little bit of offense going yesterday as well, Manny Machado. He's been hitting darn near a 400 this year, along with Eric Cosmer. Been absolutely incredible. Awesome. Kim winds up going deep again yesterday after he wound up having a rough first season. Coming over from the KBO, season number two seems to be going well. They do need to get a few you guys online, Austin Supernola, Trent Grisham, you're even able to take a look at Matt Beattie. These guys have had rough starts of the year, but you know that they're going to be able to pick it up and them for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's been a sad state of affairs for guys not named Cabrian Ace Long Daniel Vogelback. Both of these guys have done a terrific job being able to get on base. Both of these guys hitting at 300 plus. Brian Reynolds wound up dealing with a little bit of ailments and has just not been able to get it going this season. But, you do take a look at Michael Chavis. He's been able to do a nice job be able to get on base right around two sixty five batting average pair of home runs. So, he's been able to do a nice job being able to give this team a little bit of production. But, when you take a look past that, it has been a pretty sad state of affairs for a lot of these other guys. Ben Gamble, a little bit of a veteran, Yoshi Satsugo, guys like this. They have not been able to get on base. Now, what I will say about the Pittsburgh Pirates is that the bullpen has been very solid for the team. You take a look at David Benari. He's able to give you good innings. Anthony Banda, he is currently on the injured list by... Whenever he's been out there, he's been able to do a rock-solid job for this team as well. You're even able to throw in there someone like a Chris Rand, who's been able to come in do a nice job and be able to hold down the fort for this team, but you do take a look at the San Diego Padres and they do wind up getting a lot of production out of their bullpen as well. Luis Garcia can be sometimes a little bit intermittent for the team, but Craig Salmon is someone that I've always liked. You've been able to get some good long relief out of someone like Nebel Chrisman. I like when he's able to come in, he's able to give you multiple innings, hold down the fort for this team, and then you've even got someone like Tim Hill, who sometimes can lead you holding your breath, but he and Taylor Rogers able to do a nice job being able to hold things down, so this is a case in which I think that Baker is just not going to be able to get things a-brewing, even with the bad start against the LA Dodgers a couple days ago. You're taking a look at John Manan. Thus far this season, he's posting up right around 347 ERA, 24 strikeouts, and 23 in the third innings. Should be able to just manhandle this Pirates lineup, so rather than take a money line, I'm going to be willing to reduce the juice. I'm going to be looking at the run line in this spot. I did wind up saying my total at a 7.4 as well. Though it is a pitcher friendly ballpark, and though I do think that M A is going to be able to do a solid job, I think we've gone a little bit too far with seven, especially with how Baker winds up throwing. If we wind up getting to a seven and a half, then I'll start to consider the under, but here at seven, looking over, and I'm going to be looking at the Padres on the run line as we go to 907, 908 on the bang board. The Chicago Cubs hit the road faceoff against the Milwaukee Brewers. Eric Lauer is going to be going for the crew, and Justin Steele is going to be on the bump for the Cubbies. Cubbies are finding themselves ending between plus 130 and plus 143 underdogs. Meanwhile, with the Brewers, it's ending between minus 150 and minus 160. Seven and a half to eight is your total. On the eight, under is minus 120 to minus 125. Overs ending between even at plus one of five. On the seven and a half, over is between minus 115 and minus 120. And the under is between even and minus one of five. With the Brewers, we were talking about it a little bit earlier with our friend Ben Wilson, and I do think that this is a total that's a little bit too low, said it, just above an 8, more like an 8.2, so I'm going to be taking a look at it over because with Justin Steele, don't have any faith in this guy whatsoever. He's got a career ERA that hovers right around 4, but his fielding independent is closer to a 5 because he's someone that he puts on guys relatively cheaply. You take a look at him for his career, his walks per 9 innings rate, and is near the 4, so not great. 15 innings thus far this season. 12 strikeouts to 10 walks. He's only given up one home run, but he's got a whip of a 173, so it is an indicator that he's putting on a lot of guys. Guys are hitting him relatively well, and then you do take a look at Eric Lower, and, He's not going to get the same calls that he wound up getting from one Angel Hernandez a couple days ago, but certainly has been solid this year, giving up 400 runs over the course of 16 and a third innings. And really, since the All-Star break last season, he's had a sub-3 ERA. Someone who doesn't necessarily have two demonstrative of home and road splits. You take a look at it this year, and in his first home start looked relatively solid there last year. 312 Omiari 327 Rodiere giving up six bombs and sixty-six in a third innings at home. And with the Cubs, CA Suzuki, you gotta be taking note of what this guy's doing this season. He's been off to a very solid start. He's maybe right around a 304 four home runs. It slowed down a little bit with the bombs, but still. You still have a lineup that has Jonathan VR, Ian App, Nick Madrigal, Nico Horner, all these guys doing a solid job of getting on base. Like even Jason Award, even though he's been sort of a part-time player this year, he's been able to do a solid job. So the Cubs do have some firepower in that lineup, and for the Milwaukee Brewers, didn't have a single guy in the starting lineup yesterday that was entering the game inning above a two fifty, and that'd be Andrew McCutcheon. But William Thomas does have 12-RBI four-home run. That's what he wound up having going into the game on Friday. Christian Yellich, been rough for him. Colton Long, under Renfro, guys like this. But you also do have a Milwaukee Brewers bullpen that is lights out. You've got Devin Williams, Josh Hader, best one-two punch out there in all of baseball. But on top of that, Brad Boxberger does a good job. Jake Cousins last year wound up having right around a two-ish ERA. And then for the Cubs, We were talking about it once again with Ben Wilson. This is a bullpen that you really can't trust. And Daniel Norris seeing meaningful innings. Michael Givens is someone that I've actually liked throughout his career. It's been a little bit up and down this season, but Scotty Frost, Chris Martin, these are guys that you can't necessarily back, and I do think that with Justin Seale on the mound, it's a Brewers offense that though it's been scuffling, they are going to be able to get online, and I do think that the Cubs might be a little bit more of an over team this year. I did wind up setting my total at an 8.2, so I'm going to be taking a look at an over in this spot. I think Lauer is being a little bit undervalued as well. I did want up setting him as a $2 favorite in this spot. Now, if you're taking a look at the run line in this game, run line of Brewers you're finding it right around a plus 140 it's a little bit of decision time for me but I'm willing to take that run line I do think that this is a Brewers team that they are going to be able to get to Justin Seal rather than lay a minus 150 chalk I would rather take a plus 140 on the run line be able to get some good value there be able to reduce the juice so I'm looking at Brewers run line and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over 909.9 on the betting board the New York Metropolitans are going to be playing us to the Philadelphia Phillies Kyle Gibson is going to be going for the fills and Tywon Walker is going to be on the bump so the Metropolitans, Mets, in between minus 117 and minus 125 favorites. And you've got the Phillies find themselves in between plus 105 and plus 110. 7.5 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And when it comes to the New York Metropolitans, I do wind up setting them as a minus 116 favorite. So, right now, it's a spot in which we're going to be taking a look to see where this winds up moving to because if we wind up seeing more minus 125, minus 130s even, that 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 would be a play on the Philadelphia Phillies. So we need this to get down a little bit more with the Mets. Now, when it comes to the run line, you're actually finding at the Westgate, the Mets at a plus 195 and right now not finding a lot with regards to the money line, but I'd be willing to take a plus 195 on the Mets run line. Now, this is a line that wound up just coming out, so... I'm sure that one way or another I'm going to be taking a look at the money line one way or the other with regards to the Mets if we wind up getting down to more like a minus 115 or something like that with the Phillies if we wind up seeing them climb by five, six cents, I'll be taking a look there as well. So there's probably going to be a little bit of movement there. But as it stands right now, I'd be willing to take that plus 195 run line because this is a Mets offense that they've actually done a relatively solid job of being able to put back to ball. Pete Alonzo is one of the best matchers that you're going to find out there in the big leagues. Led the big leagues in. Home runs on the road last season at home. It's a little bit more of a struggle because it is city field but has good power in the bat. And you've got good balance up and down the lineup. Mark Hanna, Jeff McNeil, both of these guys hitting above a 300. Eduardo Escobar is hitting right around 265. Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor, both of these guys are hitting a 280. And Lindor has been able to give you four home runs, looking like the guy that we wound up seeing in Cleveland. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, Kyle Schwarber does have four home runs, but seeing below the Mendoza line of 200. But on the lineup has actually been very good for the Phillies. Alec Bohm, Didi Gregorius, Odubo Herrera, these guys have been able to do a solid job hitting above a 295 each. And even Johan Camargo, he's been able to do a solid job getting on base Bryce Harper. Has been Saul, you've been dealing with a Few injuries when it comes to the team, but Gene Segura looks to be good to go. The trepidation that you wind up having with the Phillies is that this is not necessarily a great bullpen. They did wind up saying Brad and Corey Knebel, just such familiar in the offseason, but yet they're still in the bottom five with regards to ERA in the big leagues. And for the Mets, they lost Aaron Loop. They did lose Miguel Castro as well, so their bullpen is a little bit ampered. You still have Jason Shreve. You've been able to get some good innings out of even someone like a Yoan Lopez. I like what he's able to bring to the table at a Montevino. he's been a little bit underrated, but you do take a look at Kyle Good. Gibson, and for Gibson, someone who's been able to come out and do a solid job this season, being able to limit the walks, seven walks, and 23 in the third innings, and has lent good length, at least five and two-thirds innings, and three out of his four starts, someone that does wind up giving up the deep ball a little bit throughout his career, right around 1.2 home runs per 9 innings throughout his seasons at the Major League level, but as has been able to get swings and misses, and for Tywin Walker it is going to be his first start of the season, so that is something to keep note of. He wound up pitching just 2 innings against the Philadelphia Phillies to begin the season, so this will be his first action ever since that He actually started out the year very solid, and I do think that it is a case in which you probably only wind up going about 4 or so innings, and then you maybe bring in someone like Sean Reed fully. but I do think That he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job in this spot, so I did wind up setting the Mets as a minus 116 favorite. Kyle Gibson is someone that away from home in recent years has struggled a little bit more with right around a five ish ERA. So, here at the current numbers, I'd be willing to take the Mets on the run line. Like I said, if we wind up getting a plus 116 with the Phillies or down to a minus 115 or less with the Mets, I'm going to be looking at one of those two scenarios. And when it comes to total, I did wind up setting it at a 7.6 because Gibson is a little bit more shaky on the road. Walker is making just his first start, really, of the season. Wound up pitching two innings about a few weeks ago. So looking at the over, and we're going to be looking at all this money line-wise moving. If it doesn't move, going to be taking a look at a run line. 9-11, on the main board. We are on the Cincinnati as the Reds hit the red face off against the Colorado Rockies. Jack Cool is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies and for the Red Likes. Connor Overton is going to be going for them. Right now, we've seen an initial line at Caesars with a total of 11 over and under. are both at minus 110. This just came out as I recorded this podcast. For the Colorado Rockies, they are minus 170 and plus 155 is your price on the Cincinnati Reds. I'm curious to see what the run line is, and Caesar is they want giving a run line of a plus 120 on the Colorado Rockies. You could sign me up for that. I wound up saying this more around a minus 115. I am in on the Colorado Rockies if we find uh, finding. Maybe a little bit more of a favorable money line. I might be taking a look there since Caesars is the first one to be able to post up a number. But when it comes to backing Connor Overton, this is something that I want absolutely no part of whatsoever. He's spent a couple stints in the big leagues, being able to get some starts, wanting to a couple of appearances with the Toronto Blue Jays last season. Made a trio starts with the poopy Pittsburgh Pirates. Career 470 ERA across 15 and a third innings. It's a very small sample size. So you have to go back to what he was able to do at the minor league level. And during the 2021 season, I actually did not wind up putting up too bad in numbers. He wound up posting up a buck 99 ERA. But here's the thing. You only wanted making seven starts in 22 total appearances. 58 and two-thirds innings. So, this guy is pretty much a two or three inning short burst guy. If you have to take a look at what he to do in at Louisville this year, 284 ERA, 2-1 record. That's solid. Four appearances, two starts, 19 innings. This is not a guy that's going to be able to lend a lot of length. It will give you relatively good swing and miss stuff And To his credit at the minor league level, not a guy that winds up giving up a lot of bombs, but this is someone that I expect him to go about three innings and then he gives way to a Cincinnati Reds bullpen that is not necessarily too good. Tony Santee Dean is someone that's been used as a starter in the past, along Jeff Hoffman as well. You got to think that these guys are going to be on deck to lend some innings. They really don't have any sort of relief pitching that is a lefty out there at all. Philip Deal is the only lefty in this bullpen, so it's a whole bunch of right-handed guys that are going to be coming out there, so the Colorado Rockies are able to take advantage of that, and you do take a look at the Colorado Rockies and entering into what we wound up getting on Friday. This is a team that, with regards to runs per game, 5.2 at home, that is in the top two in all of the National League. You've been able to get some very good averages out of so many of these guys. Connor Joe... Charlie Blackman. Both of these guys hitting north of 260. Four home runs piece this season. CJ Crone leading the National League. Seven bombs entering into Friday. Randall Gritchick has come in. He's at above a 300-long. Jose Iglesias. And for the Reds, we were mentioning it with our good friend Ben Wilson. I think that Joey Votto's off to another terrible start. Going into what we wanted getting on Friday. Hitting a buck 29. Tommy Pham sitting below the Mendoza line. Ariside Sakino. Jake Fraley. Mike Bousakis, Nick Sanzel, all below at 200. Jonathan India is back to the fold. He's hitting right around at 255 for this team. And Kyle Farmer has been able to do a relatively okay job, but there's not a lot of trusting there. And with the Colorado Rockies, it's not a great bullpen, but they've been on league average thus far. Ashingu du is able to give you a couple solid innings. Tyler Kinley, I like him. Daniel Bart wound up having an ERA about five points lower at home than it was on the road last season. And I'm not even kidding with those splits. Carlos Estevez he's able to give you some solid innings. And I like what you've been able to get out of Chad Gould thus far this season. Season. Was a little bit of cast off on the Pirates. Should have been a starter. They wound up just sort of splitting him up as a starter and a reliever. Now he knows his role 16 in the third innings. Has blocked seven, so I do think that a little bit of regression is going to set in. But just about 10 ERA, I do think that this is a case in which Chad Cool probably going to see himself give up a couple runs in this spot. But there's really no trusting in Connor Overton and pretty much a poopy Reds bullpen in this spot. I'm going to be taking a look at a Reds run line at the current opener that we want to see in. I didn't post my total up at 11.3. I do think the cool mine's getting hit a little bit, but this is right for bullpen that they are really, really bad, and with the Reds, 5.8 ERA entering into Friday, by far the worst in the league. Next worst was right around a 5.05. So, looking at the run line of the Rockies, and I'm going to be taking a look at it over. 913, 914 on the banging board the Houston Astros. Hit the road face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Jays and Luis Garcia. It's going to be on the bump for Houston. Your total on this game, it is 8.5 over and under. Are both at my Minus 110, And with the Blue Jays, it's anywhere between minus 125 and minus 135, plus 115 to plus 118 is your price on the Eastern Astros. And when it comes to the Astros, set them at a plus 138. I think it's really important to note the home and road splits of Luis Garcia because this is someone that throughout his career at home has been lights out, but throughout his career between... His home starts and his road starts. He has seen a rise in his ERA of about 1.75 points. So, and is a little bit ghastly. You go back to the 2021 season because, actually, first start of the year on the road for Lewis Garcia, not too bad. But 424 road ERA. Last season, 11 home runs give it up in 76 and a third innings. That drops to eight bombs in 79 innings at home with opponents sitting 42 points higher off of them. And you do take a look at the Houston Astros bullpen. And it certainly has been taxed quite a bit. You don't have Ryan Presley out there in the fold. You weren't able to get a lot of length out of really either of these starters. Hard- Ose Otakidi wanted getting destroyed. Yusei Kikuchi could not wind up getting out of the third inning, so they're gonna need a little bit of length, and I rely upon Jose Barrios being able to lend a little bit more of that. Now, for Barrios, you take a look at the first start of the year, and boy was it bad. He wanted getting one out, and that was about it past that, you take a look at him and he's been rock solid and his three starts ever since then is when it combined 18 innings, he has given up six runs, so now he's been able to hold down the fort, swinging and miss stuff, not necessarily this year there this year, 15 strikeouts in 18 in the third innings, but for his career, right around nine strikeouts per nine innings, does wind up giving up the deep ball a little bit, he's given up three home runs this season and for his career, right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings, but you've got to think that pretty much everyone that you've got is going to be on call if you're able to get Julian Merriweather to come out, that is going to be absolutely terrific and for the Astros, there's so no trusting in something these guys like Rafael Montero, Parker Mushinsky, not necessarily too great, and do think you do take a look at both of these lineups, and both of them are relatively rock solid. or Jr five home runs, entering into what we wound up seeing on Friday, hitting well above a 300. He wound up getting number six, as a matter of fact, on Friday. George Springer, he's hitting nearly 300, going up against his former team. Lots of motivation there. Lourdes Gurriel, Zach Collins, these guys have been solid. And then, you do take a look at the Houston Astros, and Chaz McCormick has been able to get on base along with Michael Brantley. Brantley wound up getting a little bit of a day off yesterday. Got to figure that he's going to be back the full to the fold. Alex Bregman, he's been off to a very nice start. wound up getting a home run yesterday, 380 on base for him. Yordan Alvarez after a rough start. He's starting to get online as well. You just figured that the Houston Astros, with regards to their lineup, they would be able to do a little bit more in this spot. Because of the bullpen usage, I did wind up having to tick up this total a little bit. I did wind up starting this out with having my total set at a 7.9. Because of the bullpen usage, I did wind up setting it at an 8.2, but with that said, it's still below the 8.5 that we've currently got up on this game. I do think the things are going to be a little bit less airbrained because you have seen guys like Jose Siri along with LMNDZS struggle for the Houston Astros at the bottom there lineup. Still got guys like Matt Chapman, Remy who'll Having a little bit of a tough time there with the Jays. And I do think that both of these guys are going to lend a little bit of a better start, but I do think that Barrios going to be able to do a bit better in this spot. I'm going to be willing to lay it with the Blue Jays. Willing to lay up to a minus 138 with them. And here at the 8.5, looking under. 915 916 on the main board. The LA Angels are going to be in the road and they're going to be facing off against the Chicago White Sox. Vince Velasquez is going to be going for the Sox. And Jose Suarez is going to be on the bump. For the Angels, Angels are finding themselves in a relatively pick-em game. They're the slight underdog here, finding them as good as a plus-103, as bad as minus-105. And when it comes to the subsiders, anywhere between minus-110 and minus-115 is your price, 8.5 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus-120 and minus-125. And the under, you're going to be finding that anywhere between even money and plus-105. And when it comes to the White Sox, I wind up setting them as a minus-120 favorite, as of what we want up seeing on Friday, because you did wind up having a situation in which it was supposed to be North or Syngard that was going to go, and you wound up having a bullpen game for the LA Angels, so as a result, bullpen that was already a little bit taxed, it's now even more taxed. For the LA Angels, that's not necessarily what you want to see, and when it comes to the Angels, this is a team that they do a nice job of being able to reach base. You've got Taylor Ward, who wound up having a trail of home runs in that series against Cleveland. He's hitting well above a 375, right around a 500 on base. Brandon Marsh, Mike Trout, both of these guys are hitting above a 320. Joy Otani has actually been a little bit rough this season. He does wind up going deep yesterday, so that's a very good sign from Anthony Rendon has been a big giant waste of money, but even someone like Matt Duffy hasn't saw it, David Fletcher has been an automatic out since he also break season, but still, very good lineup for the Angels, and you do take a look at the White Sox, and you need some of these guys to be able to rise up, as you had Jose Abreu, Luis Robert, you're able to throw in there Josh Harrison, Lurie Garcia, Yosemite Grandal, all ending a 2.15 or lower going into Friday. Now, Andrew Vaughn, Tim Anderson, both of these guys hitting above a 2.75, and for Vaughn, he has been able to do a good job of being able to supply the boom four home runs this season, but you do take a look at this White Sox bullpen. It's been a little bit less than impressive this season. Lee Mendrix has been dealing with some obvious injuries, but so like Kendall Graveman, Ryan Burr, Aaron Bummer, both of these guys are able to deliver some solid innings along with Jose Ruiz. And for the Angels, it was a situation in which they needed Jimmy here get to get them three innings that he was actually able to do so, but now you're going to be needing to trot out their guys that have been used up quite a bit in recent days. Rossio Iglesias Ryan Tapera, are relatively trustworthy for the seam. And Aaron Loop, since the beginning of last season, right around a buck twenty-five ERA, but all these guys from that Angels bullpen have been used up quite a bit and then you take a look at both of these starters. Vince Velasquez, someone they don't have a lot of faith in. Jose Suarez, someone they don't have a lot of faith in. Both of these guys have north of a 5.5 ERA with Velasquez three home runs given up in the course of of 12 innings as far this season, seven walks in 12 innings. And you take a look at Vince Velasquez and what he wound up doing last season when he was away from the city of Philadelphia. And it starts away from Philadelphia, north of a seven ERA, one and six record, gave up 17 bombs in 45 and two thirds innings. And it's not like Jose Suarez lit the world on fire. As a long reliever, he was very good. And then as a starter, wound up having north of a four ERA. You take a look at what he wound up doing in 2021. And on the road was actually surprisingly solid, being able to post up a 7-4 record, three oh five ERA. Did give up 6 home runs over the course of 56 innings, but as a starter, that ERA wound up going up and up and up, and with having the Angels not be able to provide anything out there in the bullpen whatsoever, I did think that it makes this spot very intriguing. I did wind up setting my total at an 8.8, so this is a spot in which I am going to be taking a look at an over with the White Sox willing to lay up to a minus 120 with them, so seeing minus 110 to minus 115, going to be willing to lay it, and I'm going to be taking a look at the 8.5 over, 917, 918 on the 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 bank board, the Oakland A's. They are going to be playing us to the Cleveland Guardians. Shane Bieber fever is going to be going for the Guardians and Cole Irvin is going to be on the bump for Oakland. Your total on this game is six and a half. The over and the under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 with Cleveland. Find them anywhere between minus 145 and minus 155 plus price with Oakland. Going to be getting that anywhere between plus 135 and plus 139. And I did wind up making this my personal lowest total on the board today as well. But I could only go to 6.6. At a 6.5, I'm willing to take a shot on the over. Because with Shane Beaver, no question, he's been able to do a terrific job this year for the Cleveland Guardians. I think that a lot of people came on him a little bit too sour. The strikeout numbers are a little bit down from last year. But you do take a look at it. And he's still been relatively lights out. 282 ERA, 22 in that third innings. did wind up giving up a pair of home runs in his last start, but still, 22 strikeouts, 5 walks. he will certainly take that Cole Irvin, a little bit more of a pitch-to-contact guy, and when you do wind up getting day games out there in the state of California, the ball is going to fly a little bit more than it is going to during the nighttime. Now, in the last few starts, for Irvin, he's been relatively solid. One run, give it up over the course of 10 innings, but as against the Texas Rangers and the Baltimore Orioles. You take a look at how he was able to perform at home last season, 390 ERA compared to a 457 on the road, and he's someone that is not going to put you on cheaply, right around two bucks per nine innings. But the A's bullpen, it does have a little bit of... Consistencies with it. They now have got Kirby Snead back after he wound up beginning the year on the injured list, and Danny Jimenez is something I do like, but AJ Puck, he's someone that I think has a lot of upside, and is going to continue to develop during the season, but he's still a little bit raw. Domingo Acevedo has an Arthur 4 ERA, and then with the Cleveland Guardians, Emmanuel Clase absolutely lights out for this team. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about that. You've been able to get some good innings out of Brian Shaw, Nick Sandlin, and heck, like, even Trevor Steven, someone who has yet to give up a run this season entering into Friday, but some of the longer guys are not necessarily too terrific, and this is a Guardians team that, though they wound up entering into their game on Friday against Oakland, really struggling three runs or fewer in pretty much five out of the last eight games, they still do have guys that are able we we'll get our base for you, Jose Ramirez. Entered into Friday, 350 batting average, six home runs. Owen Miller hitting above a four. Andres Jimenez hitting at 300. You've been able to get some relatively good production as well. To Miles Straw at the top with four stolen bases, and for the Oakland A's, they've dealt with some injuries to begin the season, but they got Jed Lowry back on Friday. They've now got Stephen Piscotty back in the fold a little bit as well. Chad Bender, he's been able to give you a trio of homers. He's hitting at 262, now. Christian Pache, Elvis Andrews, these guys at the bottom have been a little bit rough, but Tony Kemp does a good job of being able to get on base for you as well. I think that this total should be low. I think we went a little bit too low with regards to Soto, though. And when it comes to Guardians, I set them as a minus 140 favorite. So if we're able to get to a plus 140, which in a lot of places, we're right around a plus 138, plus 139, I'm going to be willing to take a shot here on Oakland. And the way that we've seen Oakland line moves work, it is probably going to wind up getting there. But with that said, if we wind up also getting down to a minus 140 with the Cleveland Guardians, I'd be willing to take that as well. So gauging a little bit of line movement, like I said, we're about a penny or two away from this being a play on the Oakland A's and Oakland wound up opening up more on a plus 120. So I'm anticipating being on Oakland in this spot here at the six f Going to be taking a look at it and over as well. 919, 920 on the main board, the Tampa Bay Rays. Going to be playing us the Minnesota Twins. Chris Archer going to be going for the Twins and Shane McClanahan. Going to be on the bump for Tampa Bay. Currently, Caesars is the only place with a number up on this game. Minus 155 on Tampa Bay is their price. Meanwhile, plus 145 is Minnesota's price. Eight is your total. Unders minus 115. And the overs minus 105. I do minus saying my total at an 8.3 with Chris Archer. This is really the first time he's been able to get meaningful innings since the 2019 season. I'd been dealing with injuries last few seasons. And thus far, not great, not terrible. 11 and a third innings has given up six walks, which is a little bit of an issue. A pair of homers, but 318. ERA in his three starts has failed to go more than four and a third innings in any of them. So that is something that you have to be on watch for. And it's really always been Chris Archer. It's not just because of the injuries, but even when he was back with the Tampa Bay Rays, he would always find his pitch count getting up a little bit too high because he tries to just get a whole bunch of strikeouts. Doesn't necessarily do the world's greatest job with regards guards command. Then you take a look at Shane McClan, and he's been able to lend some very good lengths. A combined 13 innings in his last two starts, giving up four runs, three of which were earned in that time span. Overall, has been able to post up a 245 ERA this season, giving up Just one home run in his last two starts as well. So has been rock solid and more importantly, zero walks in that time span as well. Now you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays and they were able to bust out a little bit on Friday. It had been a team that... Was a little bit hot and cold with the bat. Wander Franco, Yandy Diaz. Both of these guys have been terrific, though. They're both hitting above a three iron. Mike Zanino was off to a really bad start to the year, hitting barely above a 100. He got his first home run season, so that was very solid for them. Tyler Walls has been able to give you a couple good at bats. He's hitting right around 250. Brandon Lau, hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, but he's got a trio of home runs as well. And for the Minnesota Twins, this is a little bit of a feast of famine lineup. You do have a pair of guys that do a nice job of BL Reach Base. Luis Rice, Gio Archella, both hitting above a three iron. And then take a look at Byron. Bucks said, just what he means to the Minnesota Twins might be more meaningful than any other player to any other team. He has missed six games this year, and yet he's already got six home runs, hitting right around 275, Great in the field, great at being able to see all bases, which is big. But when it comes to the Minnesota Twins, you got to think that they're going to need to dig into that bullpen. And with regards to bullpen, Griffin Jacks wound up throwing three plus innings just two days ago. May not be available in this game. Danny Columbia, Emilio Pagan. These are guys that you don't necessarily have a lot of faith in. Joe Ryan has been a little bit rough for this team. Now, to the credit of Dylan Bundy, they need needed him to eat innings and he was able to eat six of them so that was very good for being able to preserve that bullpen and for the Tampa Bay Rays. The name of the game is utilizing the bullpen. Good news for them is that Corey Kluber was able to give them six innings yesterday. So guys like a JP FireEyes that are going to be available in this game. If you need to go to someone like an Andrew Kittredge, you're going to be able to do so as well. So I do take a look at this spot and with the Tampa Bay Rays on the money line, I could only make them a minus 152. So we would need to see a little bit of line move there. Run line I'm seeing is at a plus 130. I'd be willing to take a little bit more of a shot on the run line here. I'm waiting for a little bit of movement. Would like to see a plus one. 135. But with that said, at right around plus 135, we'll be looking at a run line of the Rays if we could get down three pennies as well on the money line. That's where I'm going to be looking. That's initial thoughts right now because right now we've only got a lineup at Caesars and if we wind up getting north of a plus 152. Going to be a play on the Twins that I did wind up setting my total at an 8.3 and I'm going to be taking a look at that eight over. 921, 922 on the banking board. The Baltimore Orioles are going to be playing those to the Boston Red Sox. Nathan Eovaldi is going to be going for the Sox and Spencer Watkins is going to be on the bump for Baltimore Baltimore is finding themselves a plus 150 underdog currently only Caesars has a number up on this game And minus 160 is your price on the Red Sox and by the way Red Sox run line finding that at a plus 110 I'll give that out right now total on this game is nine under is minus 120 and the over is even and when I take a look at this spot I did wind up setting the Red Sox as a minus 177 favorite and minus 118 on the run line I would rather lay the run line rather than a minus 160 money line, because this is a Boston Red Sox team that they've had their ups and their downs with their lineup this far this season, but I do think that they're going to be able to bust out against a guy in Spencer Watkins, who I expect him to be better this season, but last year, he wound up having an 8 ERA. This year, he's been able to do halfway decent. He has given up two home runs and seven walks and 13 innings, but... 277 ERA, if you take a look at the fielding independent, he is doing for a little bit of aggression. He also did wind up facing off against the Oakland A's and the Milwaukee Brewers. So, to the lesser lineups, you're going to find out there in the big leagues. And I mentioned it last season. This guy is just not very good. His walks to strikeout rate was a 1.8. And for Nathan Ivaldi, this is someone who has been giving up a lot of hard contact. Seven bombs given up over the course of four starts. But you have noticed that... Camden Yards is a little bit different this year, so it does make it a little bit more difficult to get those deep balls. You do take a look at what Iavaldi wound up doing on the road last season, 421 ERA in 13 starts. He wound up giving up nine home runs and 68 in the third innings compared to six bombs in 114 innings at home. But I do think that he's going to come in and hold down the fort now with the Red Sox. Another little bit of an issue that you have with this team is that Garrett Woodlock is no longer in the bullpen. So Phil Valdez is probably going to need to lend some solid innings for this team. You're going to be looking at Ida Kazo coming out there. Awesome Barnes guys like this and for the Baltimore Orioles. Bullpen is on it, so you've been too terrible for this team, but you're relying upon guys like a Paul Fry, Felix Bautista, Joey Creeble to continue their very good ERAs. I don't think you're going to be able to get that in for the Orioles. They've been the top under team in all of baseball this season and you take a look at what you wound up getting in the lineup on Friday. You had one one Guy leave the game with a north of a 240 batting average. That would be us in the saves kit. Trey Bubba Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, Ode Mateo, Ryan McKenna. They're all in between a 215 and a 240. Cedric Mullins is sitting at the Mendoza line of 200, and for the Baltimore Orioles. Going into what we wound up seeing in their game on Friday, this was a team that had nine home runs. And to put this into perspective, Anthony Rizzo has eight all by himself. So it's not necessarily going well for that lineup. And then when it comes to Boston Red Sox, you've been able to get some solid contact out of Xander Bogarts. Entered into Friday, hitting right around a 390. Rafael Devers, who had 38 home runs last season, he's hitting right around 275. He's been able to give you a trio of bombs. Alex Verdugo has been able to go deep three times. He's been able to do a nice job for this team. J.D. Martinez, you know that he's going to be able to pick it up a little bit as well, so I do take a look at this spot. And I do think that the Red Sox should be able to just outgun this Orioles team. I'm willing to lay the run line. I was willing to lay a price with the Red Sox, seeing that at plus 110, that's going to be a take for me. And with Watkins, I think that he gets us right a little bit. And I do think that the Orioles are going to be able to generate a little bit more offense here as well. Set my total at nine point two. Looking over and looking Red Sox run line nine twenty three, nine twenty four on the bang board. The New York Yankees hit the road face off against the Kansas City Royals. Carlos Hernandez is going to be going for the Royals, and Garrett Cole is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. Yankees find themselves you know, between minus 188 and minus two dollar favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Hernandez and company, it's a 14 plus 175 and plus 187 half is your total in most spots. Seeing a straight seven out there as well with the seven overs minus 115, the unders minus 15 on the seven half unders minus 120, and the overs even. And with the New York Yankees, I do wind up making them a favorite of a minus 154. I feel like Garrett Cole, despite the fact that his last start was very solid against the. Cleveland Guardians currently being overpriced with the run line of the Yankees. You're finding that right around a minus one fifteen. And I would have need a plus one to I'll take a shot there. As a matter of fact, if anything, I'd be taking a look at getting a run in F with the Kansas City Royals. You're finding that at even money to minus 105. I'd be willing to take it as long as it's a minus 108 or less, but in this spot, I was willing to take the Royals at anything north of plus 155. I see a little bit more value on the money line, especially with the way that Garrett Cole is pitching, so I'm going to be looking there with the Kansas City Royals. The one thing that you do roll the dice with is that this is a team that outside of Salvador Perez, who we all remember last year, you wound up having it, it's just negatives and 48 home runs. You don't necessarily have a a lot of power, and you have had a couple guys that need to pick it up with regards to their batting average. Carlos Santana, ever since the all-star break last season, has literally been the worst hitter out there in all of baseball. Michael A. Taylor, Ed Olivares, Whit Merrifield, Bobby Witt Jr. all these guys have had a rough start to the year, hitting a 220 or lower. But Nikki Lopez has been able to get on base, and Andrew Bennett he's gotten north of a 400 on base. And then you take a look at the New York Yankees, and you've really been able to have Anthony Rezzo go yard. He entered into the night with eight home runs, he's now got nine, which that matches how many of the Baltimoreals have for the entirety of the season. He's hitting at three hundred. Aaron Judge is hitting right around a two ninety five and you've got John Carlos Sand now with four home runs. He's starting to heat up a little bit, but still have a Joey Gallo problem. He's sitting below the Mendoza line of two hundred. Hasn't been able to give you a lot of hard contact now. Isaiah Kinner uh, Aaron X, DJ Malayu, these guys have been able to do a solid job of be able to get on base and to the credit of the New York Yankees, bullpen has been solid. You go back to the start which Garrett Cole wound up having on the road against the Tigers his last road start. He got just five outs in that game and then the bullpen came in for seven and third ending scoreless. Clark Schmidt wound up saving the day there. Chad Green along with someone like Miguel Castro you're able to throw in there Lucas Lutke. These guys have been able to block it down and roll the Shaman looking like the rolled a Shaman of old and then you do take a look at the Royals and Josh Shamount is someone that's able to come out of the bull- Open. Do a solid job. Joel Payampas is a little bit underrated. Scott Barlow, Long Jake, Branstone, Coleman. These guys are able to lock down. And with Carlos Hernandez, he did wind up having a worse ERA at home than on the road last season. But I did like what I saw out of him towards the back half last season. So thus far this season, it's been a little bit rough. 14 total of innings in three starts. Has given up 20th. So he's been very much a pitcher contact guy. I do think that those strikeout numbers are going to be ticking up a little bit more. You take a look at him for his career, right around seven half strikeouts for nine innings, including the innings this season. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of positive regression there, and I do think that Garrett Cole winds up giving up just a little bit too much contact in general. So I did wind up saying this total at 8. I'm looking at the over, and I'm looking at the Royals at anything above a plus 155. 925, 926 is going to be the DK Nation pick. Seattle Mariners hit the face off against the Miami Marlins. Asus Lizardo is going to be going for the Marlins, and you've got Robbie Ray who's going to be going for the Mariners. Mariners are finding themselves... And we're between a minus 110 and I'm seeing as bad as minus 120. Meanwhile, with the fishies. You're finding them as good as a plus one oh eight, as bad as a minus one ten, with your total on this game between seven and seven and half. On the seven, the over is minus one twenty, the under is even. On the seven half, the under is minus one twenty, and the over is even. I do find up saying my total at a seven point two. So here at a seven a half, I'm gonna be taking a look at an under pretty much every place except for DraftKings as a seven and a half, and well, I do not have access to DraftKings because I'm out here in Lovey, Las Vegas. So we're gonna be taking a look at a seven and a half under, but that said, the DK Nation pick going to be on the Mariners. I set them as a minus-132 favorite. I like what I've seen out of Robbie Ray thus far this season. He has changed location, and someone that prior to last season really had his walks issues has really been able to tame those down. 25 and a third innings, eight walks this season. Now, home runs have been an issue. Even when he wound up winning the Cy Young Award last season, right around a home run and a half per nine innings, he's given up four this season. But it's going up against a guy in Azo who wound up having a great first start against the LA Angels. Went five innings, punched out 12, gave up one run, and for that matter, his last start against the Braves. Eight strikeouts in five innings. That's very good, but... He also wound up having an ERA that was north of six last season. So I do think that he's turning over a little bit of a new leaf. I don't think that he's as good as those two starts I wanted mentioning as well. I think that it's probably somewhere in the middle. And the Seattle Mariners, they've got one of the most trustworthy bullpens out there in the big leagues. You've now got Paul Sewell back in the fold. Drew Rider, very solid for this team, Matthew Festa. He's even able to give you a couple solid innings. And then you do take a look at the Mariners and you have Mitch Haniger back in the fold. He wound up having three home runs very early on in the season before he wound up Going down with COVID and just a couple different injuries in general. Abraham Toro is someone that's gone off to a little bit of a rough start to the season, but Ty France north of twenty RBI, five home runs this season. Adam Frazier since the first week of the season, he's been able to pick it up a little bit. JP Crawford four forty on base for the team. Lewis Torrens he hasn't seen a lot of action this year, but last year was solid. Wound up having three RBI in the game that we wound up seeing on Friday as well for the Miami Marlins. They certainly did a good job being able to put back to ball on Friday with Orde Solaire being able to get a home run, but still got a lot of guys there. Solaire, who I mentioned, Jacob Sellings, Miguel Rojas, Avisio Garcia. All these guys are in below the Mendoza line of 200. Asus Aguiar has been able to do a solid job of being able to drive in runs throughout his career. As a matter of fact, in August last year, he was actually towards the top of the National League with that regard, but he's hitting just a two twenty six for the team as well. Jazz Chislam, Asus Sanchez, they have between them a combined seven home runs. Both of these guys in north of a two eighty. but I do take a look at the Marlins bullpen, and I do I think that it's relatively solid. You've got the Anthony's Anthony Bass, Anthony Bender. You are bringing Cole Sills or Tanner Scott from the Orioles, but I do favor the Mariners a little bit more. And I do think that we're going to see a little bit of regression for Macy Cezardo compared to what we wound up seeing in the last few starts. I think that both of these guys are going to come out there. They're going to be chucking it really well. Semi-total at a 7.2, so I'm going to be taking a look at an under and the DK Nation pick. Going to be on the Mariners one to lay up to a minus 132 with them. 927, 928 on the Bay board. You've got yourself the Walker, Texas Rangers playing host to the Atlanta Braves. Bryce Elder is going to be going for the Bravos, and Dane Gitter Dunning is going to try to get her done for the Rangers with the Braves. You're finding them anywhere between a minus 106 and seeing as bad as a minus 115. Meanwhile, if you're looking at Texas, you're going to be finding them as good as a plus 102, as bad as a minus 110. 8.5 is your total. The over and the under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. The max I'm willing to lay with Braves is a minus 109. We're seeing a couple minus 108s. I'm seeing as good as a minus 106. I'm going to be willing to take that with the Atlanta Braves now. I'm going to be waiting until we wind up seeing what ends up getting posted in the end. But at current numbers, I'd be looking at the brace. You do take a look at Elder, and the big thing with him is the walks. 11 walks and 14 and two thirds innings at the minor league level. He had a little bit of an issue with that as well, but also does a solid job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. as given up two home runs over the course of his first three starts, which that's not bad, especially considering one of those starts was on the road against the San Diego Padres. He pitched relatively well there. And for day you've got to take note of his home and road splits. This is a man that last season he wound up having a home ear. ERA of a 309 and a 639 ERA on the road, giving up four bombs and 67 innings at home. Nine home runs at 50 and two thirds innings while on the road, while opponents hit 44 points lower off of them while he was at home. Problem is Texas backs him up by one of the bottom five bullpens that you're going to find out there in the big league. Spencer Patton He's currently dealing with an injury. You wind up having Garrett Richards pretty much have to open for our good friend, Spencer Howard, who is absolutely terrible. Why Spencer Howard is still in the big leagues. I have absolutely no idea, but somehow, someway, Miracles, I guess, wind up happening, and well, he wound up giving up another home run on Thursday, Friday, so there is that, and you do take a look at the Texas Rangers lineup. It's not like they're lighting the world on fire. You've got Brad Miller, Willie Calhoun, Cole Calhoun, Marcus Simeon, all even below the Mendoza line of 200. Corey Seager has been rock off for this team, hitting at 253, and Indelis Garcia has gone off to a rough start with regards of batting average, but they get his fourth home run of the season yesterday, and then you take a look at the Atlanta Braves, and you've got the Masters for this team. Travis Demerite is not going to keep this up, but he's hitting above a 400. So, kudos to him. Matt Olson has been able to do a nice job of getting on base. North of a 400 on base. Austin Riley has six home runs this year. He's hitting a 280. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Albies, Albies, Albies. He's giving you six home runs this season. Marcelo Zuna has right around a 300 on base, 265 ish batting average. He's been able to supply four home runs. And even someone like Orlando Arceo has been in and out of the fold. Has been solved for the team as well for, with the Atlanta Braves. They didn't have to use up as much of their bullpen yesterday. You've got A.J. Minter is able to come out of the bullpen. Will Smith sometimes gets jiggy with it, but Jesse Chavez is able to be a guy that's able to give you multiple innings. Zero O'Dea is someone I do like. You've got Tyler Madzik as well, so I do think that the Atlanta Braves are going to be able to back up Elder relatively solidly, even though I do think that Donning winds up giving a little bit better start. The Braves, they just put a little bit more around Elder, so I do want to say my total at an 8.7 with the way that the Braves have been inning. I'm looking over, and when it comes to the Braves, one to lay up to a minus 109 with them, so going to be one to lay the minus 108 slash minus 106 I'm seeing, and we wrap things up with 929, 930 on the bank board. The Detroit Tigers at the road face off against the LA Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw is going to be going for the Dodgers, and Bo Briski is going to be on the bump for Detroit. Detroit is a very hefty underdog, and between plus 245 and plus 285, meanwhile with the Dodgers. And we find them anywhere between $3 minus three dollars and 8 is your total. The over and the under are anywhere between even money and minus one twenty. So we've seen quite a shift on the total. And I set it at an eight point six. So here, even here at the eight, because the opener was actually seven and a half, I'm going to be taking a look at it over, but. I think we've actually gotten to a point in which I can start to consider the Detroit Tigers. I set this at a plus 283, which is my highest mark of the year for any underdog, but now at Circa, we're seeing a plus 285. Now, if you're taking a look at the run line between minus 155 and minus 160 with the LA Dodgers, I was willing to lay up to a minus 148, and I thought I was being aggressive there. And we could wind up seeing this go up. If this winds up getting to a plus 145 to a plus 150 on the Detroit Tigers, I might just wind up considering that route as it stands right now because I did wind up setting this more around a 148. I'd be looking at the money line of the Tigers because that's where I'm actually finding the value at. But a plus 285, I recognize that Pobreski is not going to come out there and he's going to light the world on fire. In his first start of his career against the Colorado Rockies, gave up three runs over the course of five innings. Once again, not a guy that is going to wind up doing anything amazing, but at the same time, he's a major league pitcher. That's something that you've got to consider. And if you want to go back to the minor league numbers of Mr. Brisky during the 2021 season, spent a lot of his time out there at the AA level. At the AA level, wound up giving up just 1.6 walks per nine innings. Overall, at the minor league level, 10 strikeouts, 2 walks per nine last season. Didn't necessarily blow teams away, 3.12 ERA. Keep in mind, of wow, that was at AA, but still and Clayton Kershaw has had his struggles at Dodger Stadium really since 2020, giving up more than 1.2 home runs per nine innings in his home starts ever since then, wound up having that amazing first start in which he should have been able to go for a perfect game ever since then. He's given up five runs over the course of ten innings, now that was against the Atlanta Braves and the San Diego Padres, but good news for the Detroit Tigers is that Javi Baez is back in the fold. When Baez has been out there, the Tigers have been able to supply a little bit of offense. You've got Miguel Cabrera, Derek Hill, Robbie Grossman, all entering into Friday, hitting at least a 295. Austin awesome. Meadows is hitting at 300 as well. Spencer Torkelson, he's striking to out a little bit too much, but he's got three home runs for this team. Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope need to pick it up a little bit, and then I mean, what well, more needs to be said about the LA Dodgers? You got Freddie Freeman hitting above a 300. He's already been able to give you a trail of home runs. Cody Bellinger has seen his batting average dip in recent days, but he still has four home runs thus far this season. Gavin Lux, his on base has been north of 350. Chris Taylor is hitting at 285. Mookie Betts, you know that he. he's. He's going to be able to get online. Trey Turner down for what has been amazing with 16 RBI. and The Dodgers, they've got an absolutely incredible bullpen. Phil Bickford is someone that should not be going as far under the radar as he does. Bruce Autograderall is able to triple digits. Craig Kimbrell, he does a great job of play trying is currently on the injured list. And this is a Tigers bullpen that, after the all break last year, they were in the top eight with regards to bullpen ERA. Will along with Gregory Soda are able to give you some good innings. Andrew Chafin is fresh off the injured list. You've got Alex Lang who's able to give you a couple solid innings. Even Jacob Barnes is able to come in and do a solid job. The Dodgers should be a very hefty favorite. We're getting up to a plus 285 here. This actually opened at a plus 290. This has just went a little bit too far. I'm going to be willing to take a shot here on the Dodgers money line. Obviously, this is a case which I don't expect it to hit north of 50% of the time, but the value is here, in my opinion, with the Dodgers. Semi-total on 8.6 as well, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over and that. we wrap things up for the Saturday edition of the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson, as we wound up having Ben Wilson of Beeson's new show, The Run Line, on in the second segment. A big thanks to him for joining me. If you do like hearing from the fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you hear your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you, for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw this in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gunit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters here. Yeah. Amy does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Any other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, irritable fire, whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast, find that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, and that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
4: Zumo Play.